Hi friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. Today we are launching a new series entitled, That You May Believe. This is a study of the Gospel of John. This series is an amazing opportunity for you to invite friends that they may learn about the foundation of our faith and our hope, that is, Jesus Christ. In addition to the weekly teachings that you'll be hearing here, we also are encouraging you to read along with the entire Gospel. Each week we'll be putting out some readings that you can do on your own time. You will be able to find those on our app, as well as our current series page on our website. As you would expect, we will start at the beginning with John chapter 1, as we are led in our teaching by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Here is his message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, As you know, we're in this new series that you may believe. Uh, It's really a journey that we're going to go on. Somebody asked, why did we come up with that name? How did we get there that you may believe? Well, this verse, you're going to hear it time and time again. You'll know it by the end, I guarantee you. John 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. In fact, I had another name for the series, uh, and I felt so convicted that I went back to this because I knew that's the core of this message, the Gospel of John. So would you pray with me here this morning? God, thanks for today. Thank you for that message that you give us through the Gospel of John. Oh, Father, we're so grateful to be in your house this morning, to be able to sing your praises, to be able to sing because we really mean it. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. I pray that you impress upon us now the message you want us to hear as we go through this journey together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you teach us in your word and how it applies to each and every aspect of our own life. Father, I pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear and that we aren't just hearers of the word, that we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Somebody asked me, how do we come up with the series that we go through? Um, and I say, well, when God tells us what they should be, we, 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 we do them. Obviously, there's certain parts of the year that we know Christmas, it's always a great time to do a series on Christmas. Um, so we did, uh, obviously, we went through the Apostles' Creed back in the summer. And this one, though, this series that you may believe, this one came to me, I remember the moment, the time, and the conversation. It was actually uh, beginning of December, Light the Night was here. Light the Night was a huge production we did over the sanctuary, a couple thousand people here with Urban Impact Foundation. Urban Impact is a ministry of support on the north side, and there was kids singing and dancing and uh, all kinds of wonderful things happening, and they gave the message message of Jesus Christ. And Dr. Ed Glover was here, and he uh, presented the message. And I remember after uh, the first night, the Friday night, he and I walked back to the back of the sanctuary, and he said, you know, Jared, a lot of people came to Christ that night. I said, absolutely, praise God for that. He said, wouldn't it be great to do a series sometime where we kind of take people through that journey of what that really looks like, so they can understand what the Bible really means, and take them through that. Because we always recommend reading John when, uh, when you're coming to faith, when you want to know who Jesus was, you read John. So that's when it hit me. I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a series on, on John. Then I realized, too, that, you know, it's not just for, for like new believers. It's not for just like immature, or, uh, immature people. It's for us who may have known who Jesus was for a long time. Helps us dive deeper. In fact, there was a guy, Leon Morris, who said a great, gave a great quote. He said, John's gospel is a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant can swim. 
John's gospel is a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. When I first read that, I thought, that makes no sense at all. Thank you, Leon Morris, for the dumbest quote of all time. When I read it over again, I realized, you know what, this guy's got a point. A child can wait. It's so shallow that for those of us who don't know who Jesus was, don't know what being a Christian is all about, this is what gospel's for you. But it's so deep as well. It's so deep that an elephant can swim in it because for those of us who already know who Jesus was, it's going to take us even deeper. And this is the journey that we're going to go on. This is the journey that we're going to go on. And it's going to take us all the way through Easter. All the way through Easter because we're going to go through this gospel. And one of the things we want you to do is we want you to go along with us. Now, we say that every, every week, but we want to encourage you to read this gospel with us. So what we're going to do is we're going to touch on uh, the, the beginning of each chapter as we go through. We want you to read that chapter that week. That's your one homework. I hate, I hate to use the word. It's the tech team said don't use the word homework. It's what it is. Uh, you got to do it. You got to go home and read it. They, we wanted to call it on your own time. Forget it. It's homework. You got to do it. We want you to go through it. I want to let you know too. We have an app. Okay, some of you know that we have an app. It's the Christ Church uh, Grow Farm app. Now, do not take your phones out and take, get this app going right now because I know many of you will be convicted to see if God is Facebooking you or sending you an Instagram picture from heaven. Don't do it right now. When you get home. I want you to get this app on your phone because all the notes are in there and all the readings are in there. We want you to follow along with us. Christ Church at Grow Farm, the mobile app. So we're going to go through this journey. It's going to be a great journey. Are you ready for the journey? Now, in order, in order to start this journey, we've got to understand a little bit about John. Because okay, some people go, I don't, you know, this is the first time, maybe you're new to the church or maybe you've never really opened the Bible much. You go, why John? I don't why, why John? Why not some of the other books? So, here's where we're going to take a couple minutes. This is Bible Class 101. Okay, you ready? Here we go. First, if you have to understand that there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels. It's a big word, but it really means similarities. Okay? So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all similar in content. So they go through, they start with um, Jesus' birth, Matthew and Luke do. Mark starts with his baptism, but they go through like a narrative of his life, okay? And they kind of go through all those different aspects, and they hit on many of the same parables, many of the same uh, healings and all kinds of good stuff. There's a lot of similarities between them. John's gospel is different, though. John doesn't follow that same structure. He starts different. The stuff he touches on is different. And John's gospel doesn't include many of the things the other synoptics include. Here are the things that John's gospel does include. It doesn't include any parables. It doesn't include any eschatology. That's just a big word for end times discussions. The gospel talks a lot about end times. It doesn't have any list of the 12 apostles, any formal talk of the, uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. It doesn't talk about his birth, baptism, transfiguration, temptation, agony in the garden before his death, or his ascension into heaven. John's gospel does not include any of that. But here are the things that John's gospel does include. John's gospel includes a huge amount of material. 90% of it's not found in the other gospels. John talks about his pre-existence, how he really, who he was, who Jesus was. Who he was, his pre-existence, the incarnation, his early ministry in Judea and Samaria. John touches on different uh, encounters that he has with different people, other miracles, other teachings on the Holy Spirit, and more teachings on the Holy Spirit than any of the other synoptics. So John's gospel is different. Now, people throughout history would say, well, don't look at John because John must be in conflict with the other three. 
And in fact, once you start reading John, you understand more about John and the synoptics once you read them together. Because you find out, not only they're, they're not contradictions, but they actually supplement each other. They have interlocking traditions. Understand, John's gospel was written a few decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John assumes that people already know some things that are already written there. And so John highlights some of those things and actually explains further about a few things. For instance, uh, most of you know when Jesus was uh, on trial, he went before Pilate. The synoptics talk about Pilate. They don't say why he has to go in front of Pilate. John does. The synoptics talk about how Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest and he denied Christ three times and the, the rooster crowed. doesn't say how Peter got there. John talks about why Peter got there or how he got there. The call of the disciples, Peter and Andrew, he doesn't talk, John's gospel doesn't say the calling, but he talks about why they've been called, and you understand it more in the light of John. The feeding of the 5,000, a lot of us are familiar with that, where Jesus had this huge miracle and fed 5,000. In the synoptics, he sends them all away, but nobody knows why until you read John. They send them all away because they all wanted to make him king, and Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. So we understand more about the synoptics when you read John. The, other, the opposite is true as well. John assumes we already know about the disciples, so when you hear them talk about it, it's, it's like we already knew that they were there. When they were talking about Mary and Martha, John assumes that we already knew who Mary and Martha was when you read his, how, he, how he talks. So we understand more about John once we read the synoptics and vice versa. Okay, John's gospel, though, is the only one that has a purpose statement. As well, And the purpose statement is the same verse I just read, John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's two objections, two objectives to it. It's apologetic and evangelistic. First, it's apologetic in that first part of the verse. It says that you may, that these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You know, we live in a time, especially those that are kind of on a different, younger generation, where very skeptical. It's like we want to be skeptical of everything. We don't want to believe anything. And so we're always wrestling with truth. I know I was talking with uh, somebody here this week who wants to start a ministry for college students uh, on apologetics. And this gospel is key for that because we wrestle with this and we understand that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. That he's not just a man, that he didn't have just good teaching, that it's not just something that we want to follow because he was a a good person. We understand that he really is the Messiah. It's also evangelistic. By believing you may have life in his name. I can guarantee you at the end of this series, if not by the end of today, you're going to believe who Jesus was or not. But you're going to find so much evidence of who he was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that we were dead in our sins and that he came as a perfect man to to, uh, grow and to die for us. You're going to know that and believe it by the end. In fact, John uses the word believe over a hundred times in this gospel. Over a hundred times. John 3.16, that's where we get the famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, what? Believes. So, the, so what John does is he, he presents Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah. And that's why he goes through all these, these miracles that you're going to see over the next few weeks. All the miracles, all the people he encountered. And what I want you to do is get into the shoes of those people. Get into the shoes of those people because we're all dealing with different stuff in life, aren't we? We're all dealing with various things. And he gets in there and he meets with them face to face. And that's what he's going to do with this series as well. There's five parts to the series. Five parts of the book of John. The prologue is one. 
The public ministry, that's when he goes around, he's, he's ministering, he's doing miracles. Then there's the private ministry where he's teaching the disciples. And then there's the, the passion, or we call the death. And then there's the resurrection appearances where he comes to Thomas afterwards. But we start with the prologue, what we just read, what, what that, 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 that piece that was just read in that, in that uh, video we watched about the word. So if you have your Bibles, your service sheets, it's right there, John 1. You got to start there. You, you first, if you under, want to understand John, you got to understand who Christ was, that he's here with us now. You know, as, um, many of you know that I traveled with Silver Ring Thing for a number of years. It's a sexual abstinence program and uh, that we work with, uh, still partner with. They're actually, they're on our campus now in the John Guest Ministry Center. And we had a commissioning for them. And you know, I traveled with them for about 10 years. We went all over the place and uh, various encounters and things. But the one that I remember that really relates to this about Jesus being here is um, one, at some point during this whole time, this 10 years, we were in uh, doing an event in Wyoming. <laughs> it was the, I don't know where we were. I'm glad I wasn't driving. I was sleeping on the tour bus. We just showed up at this random ranch in the middle of it was like an hour and a half south of the middle of nowhere. I'm not even kidding. It was just in the middle of nowhere. We, we did an event at a church there, and we all got to stay at this beautiful ranch. And uh, it was a ministry house where they would have missionaries come and uh, other people uh, that worked with the church. That somebody donated this ranch. It was beautiful. We walked in. It was gorgeous, and everything was a uh, real nice place. I was pretty tired, so I was like, it's nice. I'm going to bed. And so I went into my room, and there, we had bunk beds in the, in, the, in the bed. And I went and laid down, and I looked up, and on the top of my in the bunk bed, somebody had carved with a knife, God was here. I thought, well, that's nice. You're like, deface, it's like spiritual, but you're defacing it. I don't know if it like outweighs, like it's a good thing because you're like carving God was here in this uh, or not. But then somebody wrote with a pen and crossed out was and wrote is. God is here. And I thought about that, one, because somebody got it. Somebody gets it. That God just wasn't here at some point. God is here now. So I wasn't even mad. I thought, well, that's great. That guy's really spiritual, so he can carve all, all, he, all he wants in this beautiful house. God is here. God is here with us. That's what this whole prologue is all about, about Jesus coming, and, and he's here with us. And as you, as you look at that, the passage there, he uses the word word. As you look at verse uh, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And some people have asked, well, why does John use the word word? Why doesn't he just say it? Why doesn't he say word? Why doesn't he say Jesus? Why does he use the word word? You have to understand, John was trying to uh, identify with his readers. First, he was trying to identify with the Jews and the Gentiles, so basically everybody. You've got to understand, the Jews in the Old Testament, any time the Lord showed up, he always spoke, okay? He would, he would, in, throughout the gospel, the, the Lord spoke and such and such happened. The Lord spoke here and the Lord spoke there. Every time the Lord spoke, something happened. The Lord revealed himself. So when the Jews thought about the power of God, the mind of God, the purpose of God, the design of God, the plan of God, it was all in this, the word. Because when, when he spoke, something happened. And so John says, okay, I'm going to use that same word to identify with you, let you know that the mind of God, the power of God, the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God isn't just a word. He's here now. That's why we use the word word. It identifies with the Jews. He also uses the word to identify with everybody else that wasn't Jewish. The, the Greeks at the time used the word logos, which is the same as word. 
And the Logos was this like impersonable force in the universe that, uh, that you couldn't grab a hold of, you really couldn't seek out, you couldn't control. It was just some kind of impersonable force, just this presence, this power in the universe. And so John says, I'm going to use the same word, logos, and identify with them that there is some kind of power out there. But this word's different because this word you can actually grab a hold of. This word is here. It's personable. And that you can tap into it any time you want to. So that's what the word is. And so then we understand, okay, the word's here. That's how John starts it. And then he goes into who Jesus was. It's the only gospel that talks about who he was before the birth. We go into the pre-existence of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that the verses that we just read, 1 through 14, you could probably do a whole series on them, seven different sermons. I'll give them to you in seven minutes, okay? You go, thank you, Jerry, that's good. Pre-existence of Jesus. First, you have to understand that Jesus has existed for all eternity. From the beginning, God didn't create Jesus as an afterthought. He didn't create his son at all. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's what we call the Trinity. He was with God, co-equal. And you have to understand that as, you're, as, you look, as you start looking at John because that's what sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions don't believe that he's co-equal with God. Other religions don't believe that, that, that he was in the beginning, that, God, that they believe that God created him, or that he's a son that's distant and that there's a hierarchy. Some believe that God created Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like his two sons. So you've got to be careful. One of those religions is Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, do not believe in the Trinity. In fact, that's why they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They have to use the word Jehovah because it's a personal name of Jesus. They're Jehovah's Witnesses. The Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, wouldn't believe in the Trinity. There's a huge, huge religion in South America, Iglesia Ni Cristo, that's started in the Philippines, that does not believe in the Trinity. But you have to start there. You have to understand that it's co-equal with God. That they're together. That they're together. That's what we talk about, about the Trinity. His true identity is underscored in the titles he's given. The Word, the One and Only, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the True Bread, the Life, the Resurrection. I am the Vine. I am the Light of the World. I am the Bread of Light, the Gate, the Good Shepherd, the Resurrection, and the Life. They're together. So for those of you who are out there thinking, you know, I don't, I don't really know, if, you know if, if he's just a good man that was created, that I can follow him. No, he's God together. That's the Trinity. And then we see that through, through Jesus, all things came into existence. Look at verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So not only is it from, from the beginning of time, but all things were made through him. And then we realize that he gives us life. He gives us life. Each of us desires to be fully known and loved. And Jesus wants to have a life-giving relationship with us. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I love the series we just got done with. It was called Life Designed by God. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jamie talk about his own life and how, and how people, when he was uh, conceived, people uh, told his mother that, 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 that they should get rid of the baby, that, the, that they should terminate the baby. And so, but his mother didn't, obviously. And so Jamie found purpose in that, understanding that, that God created him in his mother's womb, that we all are created, that we all have purpose. 
But see, some of us walk around so miserable and don't know why we're here or why we exist. And they find all kinds of different things to find fulfillment in, whether it's money or love or uh, possessions or all kinds of other things. And it doesn't make them happy. And we realize, we wonder why. It's because Jesus is the one that gives us life. He's the one that gives us purpose because he's the one that created us. Not only do we have life, but Jesus offers a light for all mankind. Light stands for truth, and Christ offers absolute and unshifting truth. At one verse, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. I love what Ed Shuley did with that video. It was all about that light bulb, huh? Light represents truth. You know, if, you, if you've been watching the news or just breathing lately, you, you notice on TV that the only thing that they're talking about, it seems like, is uh, who's portraying things accurately or not. Like the news is saying, well, that's not true, or somebody's not saying that truth, truthfully, or it's just their interpretation of it. And, you know, we live in a culture where we say, you know, that's okay. I actually turned on the, uh, the TV this morning when I came here just to see what kind of news is going on, and they were saying the same thing. They said some other news station wasn't, wasn't accurately portraying the truth. And then they tried to justify it. They said, well, it's their interpretation, so that's okay. That's the world we live in, isn't it? That if you want to live a certain way, as long as it makes you happy, go for it. If you want to pursue those things and run over everybody along the way, go for it. If you want to leave your spouse because that makes you happy, go for it. If you want to do your own thing and not pay attention to your kids, go for it. If you want to sleep around, go for it. If you want to do those drugs that makes you happy, go for it. That's what they talk about. And they say, well, it's your interpretation as long as it makes you happy. But it can't be about that. It can't be about our own. That's not truth. If, I'm, if I witness a car accident and I see person A hit person B, I would say, well, it's person A's fault. But if I didn't realize that person C hit person A that shoved him into person B, I would be totally wrong, wouldn't I? Is the truth that A is at fault? No. My interpretation is wrong. So how do we know what the truth is? We only know the truth from God's word. We only know the truth of how to live our life through God's word. We only know how to deal with our money, how to deal with our relationships, how to deal with love, how to deal with people. We only know that through God's word. And this is the only truth that we can base it on. So if you're going out there and saying, you know what, just do however you want to do as long as it makes you happy, you're dead wrong. It can't be. And we can see the effects of that in the world that we live in, can't we? That's the lie. Number five, the world doesn't recognize Jesus either. We shouldn't be surprised then when others are apathetic or even hostile about our faith. Because they don't see Jesus for who he is. Look at verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world didn't recognize him. You know, people get so angry, and it's a, it's a good righteous anger when people are living however they want to live or have some beliefs that aren't valuable, that aren't in the Bible. And they get so angry. I get angry too, but I also feel sorry for those people because they just don't know. They don't know what true love is. They don't know what true hope is. They don't know what true purpose is. So I feel bad for them. Do you feel bad for them? Do you feel sorry for them because they don't recognize Jesus? Maybe some of you realize that here today and you invited some folks out and said, you know what, I have such compassion for them. I want them to be here to hear this message. They don't recognize him. Number six, individuals who receive Christ become children of God. When we accept Jesus into our hearts, he adopts us as children. I love the song that Brad just sang. It's almost like Brad and I talked before this service. (laughs) About becoming what? Children of God. 
Verse 11, he came into which his own, but he did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We all want to be loved. We all want to find, uh, be cared for. And when Jesus did, he came into this world because of our sin, that we couldn't be with him when we die. And he died for us in our, instead. And so he adopts us. Those that believe and confess say, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Please come and save me. He says, now you're my child. Now you're my child. I care for you. I love you. I want to help you. Oh, it's so great. If there's anything you get out of this series or even this message, I would want nothing more for you to walk out of here knowing that you're a child of God. Loved. Made on purpose. Loved unconditionally. And finally, we see from this amazing passage that Jesus became flesh. Christ lived as flesh and blood, man on earth, so he understands and knows what we're going through. The word became flesh, it says in verse 14. And made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. He's here. John uses that one, that one word. Made his dwelling amongst us. He dwells amongst us. I love what um, Eugene Peterson said in his message. He paraphrases this verse. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's about right. He became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He's here with us. He's here with us now. You know, throughout the Old Testament, when you look at that, all those things, when the Lord spoke and something great happened, we sang the song about the waters dividing. When something great happened, the, the people would build a monument, wouldn't they? They would build some kind of structure. They would put rocks together. They would put it on one side of the river, or they would build some kind of monument. They would build a synagogue. Everywhere that something happened where the Lord was present, they built a structure. Because it represents that God was there. Now we can cross that was out and say, God is here. We don't have to build other structures because God's here with us all the time. He's here with us now. He's here with us now. And you may say, as one of my professors used to say after we would go through some scripture, he'd say, so what? So what? So how does it apply to our life? That Jesus became flesh, so what? How does it, how does it affect my daily life? Here on earth, you have to understand that Jesus became a man. He feels our hurt. He knows the pain that we go through. He feels that loneliness. He felt it. He feels that pain of rejection. He's felt it. The sadness of losing a loved one. He's felt it. I was talking to somebody this week who was devastated, devastated that they lost a loved one. Somebody had left them. They didn't die. They just left them. Someone they truly loved. And it was sad. They were very upset, crying. Said, I'm all alone, Jared. I'm all alone now. Said, you're not alone. Jesus is with you every step of the way here. He knows the pain that you're feeling right now. He knows that pain. And a relief came over the person. You know, a lot of us want to, others to understand, don't we? We want people just to understand the hurt that we have. Because it brings us comfort. That's why some of the best counseling poems, Barry will tell you, he uh, does a lot of counseling too. Some of the best counseling poems are people come in and they talk the entire time and then they walk out going, I feel so much better. And I said, I said two words, hello and goodbye to you. (laughs) But they feel better because they realize that somebody at least understands the pain they've gone through. They don't feel alone anymore. Many of us going through trials and challenges, whether it's finances or jobs or health, you feel alone, don't you? You feel alone. You feel like no one's with you. 
and you just desperately want somebody to identify with your pain, guess what? Jesus does. He does. He's here. He's here with us now. He's approachable, isn't he? He identifies with us. He's not some impersonable force. He became flesh, so he knows the pain that we go through. He knows what it's like to have hurts. He knows what it's like to feel tired. He knows what it's like to to feel frustrated. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. We're going to sing a song here in a few minutes. Brad picked a song that was really good song for us, but I want you to think about the words that we're going to sing. It says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready to stand to save you with compassion, love and power. Come ye thirsty to the fountain. Come and find goodness here, true belief, true repentance. Every grace brings you near. I will rise, go to Jesus. He will embrace me as his own. In the arms of my Savior, there is life forevermore. One of the things you're going to find out as you read this passage, as you read this gospel, is that there was nobody in the gospel, all the people that he reached, desperately wanted to come to him. And no one was ever afraid to draw near him. No one was ever afraid to come despite their past. No one was afraid to come. They all came. Because Jesus refused to be uh, some cathedral or some priest that you couldn't come after. He was approachable. I want you to remember that as you go through this series. I want you to remember that when you think about life, when you, when you wrestle with things, when you realize I don't have enough, that Jesus came and turned water into wine, that he made something out of nothing. When you're wondering, how am I going to pay my bills? That he came. Huge miracle happened, something out of nothing. I want you to remember that when you, when you lay in bed at night and wrestle with questions about life, God, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand my next steps. I want you to think about that when you read Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. In the middle of the night saying, Jesus, I've got questions for you. I've got questions I need you to answer. I want you to think about that when you you don't know which way to go, when you can't see the road ahead of you, when you're not sure if you should change your jobs, move your jobs, retire from your jobs, stay in your jobs. I want you to think about that, that you can't see the right way to go, that Jesus gave sight to the blind. I want you to think about that when you're so depressed that you can't get out of bed, that Jesus healed the cripple that made him walk again. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about when you have that sickness in your own life going, God, why are you doing this to me right now? I don't understand the sickness I have that he heals people that are sick. I want you to think about that when you have the guilt in your own life, things that you're into. I want you to think about that when you read the, the guilty woman, when he comes, she comes out and Jesus says, you're forgiven, now go and sin no more. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what it's like when your spouse leaves or someone dies, that Jesus was there with Lazarus and he turned life into it. He created life out of, out of loss. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember when you're going through life, when you've got questions about how you should act, what you should do. That Jesus comes all the times of day and night, that he's there. Nighttime, during the day, when we feel all alone like the woman at the well, Jesus comes there too. I want you to remember that. For 30 years, he felt things. He felt weak. He grew weary. He got colds. He got hurt. 
was once said to think of Jesus in such a light of being human is, is kind of irreverent. We like to keep Jesus thinking that he's, he's perfect, not like, like he didn't make any mistakes, that he didn't, didn't have headaches, he didn't feel pain, he didn't cry. We like to think of him that way. It keeps him divine. It keeps him kind of predictable and out there. And we create that divide. But remember, man creates that divide, but Jesus creates the bridge. He wants us to come. So whatever you do, don't do that. Don't do it. Someone once said, for heaven's sakes, let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of your world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that no matter what we're going through in life, that you're approachable, that you love us, that you're here to answer our questions, here to get us through life, to give us sight, to heal us from diseases, to heal us from emotional pain, to heal us from loss. You're here. You're approachable and you love us. I pray that we see that in this series. I pray that we remember that. Oh, Father, we're so grateful for what you've done, that you sent your son here to be born as a man, as a God-man to, to grow and to die for us in our place. I pray that you be with each and every one of us in here, maybe who have never really accepted that, maybe don't believe that they understand here today that it's as simple as praying the prayer, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want you to come in and save me. Wipe me clean. I want to have a relationship with you as a child of God. Thank you for today, Father, and thank you for your work. I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.